welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So I am joined by comedian Sarah Milliken. Hello, Sarah. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Welcome to the Divorce Club. Yeah. I mean, I've been in it a long time. Where have you been? More Sorry. Importantly. I know. <laughs> I've stormed in and I'm taking over the party. It's a bit rude, isn't it? It is. <laughs> How long have you been divorced? I mean, it's not a competition. <laughs> Well, I think you've won because I have only (laughs) been separated for a year and a half. I've had the piece of paper stamped that the judge says we can get divorced, but we still haven't done the financials. Right. I'm sort of divorced, but sort of not finished divorcing. How quickly did you take off your wedding ring? Oh, I love this. You're just interviewing me. This is great. (laughs) I took off the wedding band almost immediately. Yeah. But I kept the engagement ring on for a while because for some reason that had more meaning. Oh, that's nice. I quite like that. But also maybe it was worth more money. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, it's pretty and there's diamonds. (laughs) And also I wonder if keeping something on that finger keeps maybe men at a distance when maybe that's what you were after? No, I had a sexual explosion when uh, I separated from my husband. And I don't mean in my nether regions, I mean I was sexual with lots of other people. But I think I was so used to having something on that finger. I wear a ring now on that finger. It says, wow. Oh, nice. I was so used to having something there. It felt so naked and like vulnerable to have nothing there. I found that my finger was really thin in the middle where it had been nipped in by the wedding band. It's weird because I I think I was was baking or something the other day and I took my rings, all of my rings off. And 
I said, oh, look, I look like I'm divorced because it just went in. And because obviously I've, I've now had another ring on for a few years now. And I found just the finger just looked really sort of misshaped, I suppose. And bare. And, and also sometimes if you wear thick wedding bands, you get that weird like liney skin underneath the rings. Oh, yeah. Where it goes all a bit manky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so that when you take it off, nobody wants to touch you for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Although clearly that didn't happen with you. <laughs> you touched left, right and centre, which oh. I believe are the erogenous zones. <laughs> yes. And left, right and centre, 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 centre. <laughs> <laughs> so how long ago did you get divorced? So 16 years Finally there's a club but nobody told me <laughs> Sorry, it took me a while to get round to it but Just here, been here crying on my own for so long <laughs> And now we can cry together Yay! I had a sort of a divorce club with two friends Initially we called it the divorce club And then one of the girls didn't like that Because that labelled us as a certain thing So then we changed it to the lovely ladies club And then that became the LC And then we just became the LCs And it sounded like we were, I was going to go and have lunch with the LCs And it just sounded like we were a bunch of pensioners And I loved it <laughs> Well, sorry again, I've plagiarised your name of your club <laughs> Really, this is your club You should be interviewing me, I'm sorry I don't know if I'm allowed Am I So when you remarry Oh that sounds Very Elizabeth Taylor Doesn't it Like it's the same person again When you get married again Are you still in the divorce club Or are you not allowed anymore Yeah no you're still As long as you've been through it Once okay. you're in You now are of course Remarried So how long was it yes. In between Marriages Yes To so 10 years How was that 10 years for you Was it full of sexual explosions or? <laughs> See I was with the same bloke For eight of the, we, were, we were together eight years Before we got married So no No explosion really I've never been an explosion -y kind of I've been married most of my life just to different people. <laughs> so I've been married from 22 and only had 10 years off. So I've been married for 15 years, really, longer than that. I just think that takes confidence. And I don't know if I've had confidence like that before, during or after marriages <laughs> or between. I've not got that kind of chat them up. Suck a cock No, not that I'm very like Would you like to go out with me For a long time? Whereas <laughs> I'm, I'm, It's a bit Pride and prejudice If I'm honest I mean There is some I just fucking. chat him up And suck a cock <laughs> So yeah, I mean if that works I mean I'm sort of jealous Or a vagina Yeah what, what, is Whatever is available Whatever you fancy Exactly So that's interesting That you met your Second husband And you're now Happily married So quickly After your first Separation So were you out looking? Did you want another relationship that quick? Well, we didn't really separate so much as get divorced because you know how there's different methods. Did you do the two-year separation? Is that what you're doing? No, we said that one of us cheated, but that's because when you're separated, but you're, you're still officially married, if you have yeah. another relationship while you're separated, that is counted as adultery. Oh, okay. So even though no one actually cheated while we were together at the end of the marriage, 
we use the adultery like a little loophole to do it quicker. Oh, your final little time of being a teen. <laughs> like, let's do this secret thing that now I've put on a podcast. So maybe it's illegal. I don't know. No, the solicitor said it was fine. Oh, that's right. Well, it's his or her fault then. Um, my ex-husband wanted to do the two-year separation and I wasn't keen because I wanted to be done and gone. It was him that wanted the breakup, but I didn't really want to be hanging around. I wanted done and gone. So we did unreasonable behavior and I divorced him even though he didn't want me, which felt like finally I was doing something proactive because I felt like I was reacting to everything and all it was was me reacting. And I took the bull by the horns and yeah, got rid. So how was that? Obviously, that's never a nice thing when one person in the relationship wants to end things and the other doesn't. How was that process for you, taking the bull by the horns? Was that a way of you controlling things? Yeah. It's a little bit like, you know, during the quarantine, how people are shaving their heads, even though we haven't even been in long enough for you to have needed a hair appointment yet. And it's a control thing, isn't it? We can't control all of these terrible things that are happening, but we can control our hair. It was horrible. Of course it was horrible. My whole world just sort of ended. And that's what, you see, this is, but I'm grateful because this is what made me get on a stage for the first time. So it's because of the divorce that I ever did stand up. And I know for a fact that if I was still married to him, I wouldn't have ever done anything like this. I needed to sort of hit the bottom, which is what I considered I did before I could bounce back up. And I bounced back up way past where I'd been. I suppose this is the confidence I've had is to get on a stage and talk about my breakup and my divorce as opposed to sucking a cock or, you know, sucking a fanny, whatever you do with fannies. <laughs> I mean, I, I do know because I've got one. That uh, sounded like I was like, I don't know what he does down there. He just, he, he's busy, it's nice, and then we're finished. Because I moved back in with my parents for what I thought was going to be like, six months or a year and was two and a half years because I started doing stand-up and then it meant I could go part-time at my office job. So what age were you then? So you've had a marriage and you moved back in with your parents. Yeah, 29. Do you remember how that felt at the time? (laughs) (laughs) They're good people and they're nice people and they were very welcoming and had they not done that, I don't think, again, I wouldn't have been able to do stand-up. It was hard because I went back into my old bedroom because my mum and dad still lived in the house that I was raised in. And my dad, and I don't even know if he was joking, asked if I wanted my Philip Schofield posters back out the loft. (laughs) 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 I don't even know if he thought it was funny or if he was just like a practical, like, well, you're back, so should we just make it like it was? (laughs) They kept your room, other than obviously they'd taken down Philip Schofield, but they kept your room... As you had it when you were younger. Not in a shriny kind of way, like some parents do. But it was still a bedroom and it still had the same furniture in, but it didn't have any of me in. So I had to put me back in. But then when I left the second time, I mean, I must have been, you know, barely on the M1 before my mum and dad were like repainting it so that it was definitely not livable. It was livable back in, but they were trying to like, hey, maybe this time it could be for good. (laughs) And you're like, all right, okay. Don't come back, please. (laughs) It was hard because you go back into being a kid and they treat you like where you're going, what you're doing, what time, who you're going to be with. And you're like, I'm nearly 30. <laughs> so you do kind of go back into that. I had counselling, which really helped because it's really hard to kind of bitch about your family to your family. <laughs> Thank God for counsellors. I don't think without 
I wouldn't have been in such a good mental state to then meet somebody new quite so quickly. It wasn't, it was, I met him fairly quickly because I met him at my second gig. He was open and then I was doing one of the open spots in the middle. And the first thing he ever said to me was, you rock. Oh. Yeah. And it's on, the in, it's, a, it's, it's on the inside of our wedding rings. That's so nice. And that must have been a, a, a lovely moment, you having said that you didn't have much confidence in your marriage and then you just hit rock bottom and you've just started this new mm. thing. Yeah, but I think the confidence I had was on stage. Initially, you don't think you're any good. You don't know if you're any good. But a laugh gives you that little boost. So I did a workshop for people who'd written but never performed. And I just went along to see what it was about. And we did a performance at the end of that, which was kind of, I read a monologue, which looking back is stand-up. But I came off stage and I jumped up and down in the ladies' loos and rang my dad on the way home thinking, well, that's that ticked off the list. But because it's so, because I had nothing else in my life, really, I made everything about comedy and I was so addicted to the feel and the rush that I got. And I do think because he didn't love me anymore, but 50 people in a room above a pub in Biker in Newcastle did. It really replaced it quite cannily. I love this. So every divorced person should take up stand-up comedy. I mean, they should give it a go. I'm not saying they'll be any good. (laughs) There was something about being able to tell them things that he'd said that I'd put a positive spin on and made it funny because that's how I coped. And then to tell people and for them to laugh in a kind of, oh, you're right, he is an arse or whatever (laughs) they might be thinking, was really... It's a bit like when you tell your friends and your friends are like, oh, yes, and they're always on your side, but it was strangers and it it was so addictive. And so how did that process come about of you breaking up with someone, moving back in your parents and thinking, I'm going to do stand-up comedy? Was it something that had always sort of been in the back of your mind? No. I think because I used to write stuff and I used to write plays and short films and they always had a funny angle because I always felt like that was the best so uh, there was a there's a, a theater called live theater in newcastle that uh, they do like these scratch nights where you can send in five minutes of a play you're working on and they'll take it off the page and they'll read it with actors in front of an audience and you get to see your five minutes and i was never working on a play so i used to just write five pages and just funny dialogue and it always got picked to be read and they'd go around and get a vote from everybody to see who's... And generally I won because you might have five minutes of a play about nuns in a war and then mine, which was a couple of old ladies chatting, which was just funny. And, it, and people would always remember because it was funny. So I'd always written funny things, but I'd never... I'd never oh my God, I never would have thought I'd ever have the confidence to... And sometimes even now when I'll walk out on a stage at a tour show and I get a little sort of flicker of... Like, how on earth did I get here? It's a bit like an out-of-body experience when you just see this woman walk into the mic and you think, what is she going to (laughs) say? What on earth has she got? But I think it was just, I lost everything. And I felt like, oh, well, I can do anything now. So all of a sudden, I've got nothing, but also I've got nothing, which is like a wide open space to sort of run around in. The more gigs I did, the more I felt like that was where I belonged. Like backstage, talking to other comics, I felt like I could be fully me. And I don't know if I've been fully me for a long time. I think I've been a version of me. And even now, I feel most at home uh, talking to other comics because I just don't think there's any... 
you can be completely yourself. And because we're all a bit odd and a bit weird and a bit, you know, sort of dysfunctional that we all fit because we're, nobody's ever going to go, she's a bit weird. They're going to go, oh, she's so weird on stage. It's great. <laughs> I I like, like it's so, <laughs> exactly. I remember the first time I saw Lucy Beaumont and she went on stage with a handbag on her arm. And I thought, why have I never had the guts to just carry my handbag on, on stage with me? And it wasn't a character. She just didn't trust anybody in the audience to leave her bag with. And it was brilliant. But it's, the sort, all the sorts of things that I was picked on for school are the sorts of things that made me who I was, but that was different. And then when you're an adult and it makes you who you are, it's great because you stand out because you're not the same as everybody else. I think it's so interesting what you're saying about when you've got nothing else, this sort of blank slate of freedom and also the confidence being on stage gives you and that you don't have to check in with anyone. You can do whatever you like. I definitely can relate to that, you know, of this sense of freedom when I came out of my marriage. And I actually went Mm. into doing Magic Mike Live in the West End after I split up with my husband. So I also, obviously I'm a stand-up and actor, but I'd started doing something that I'd never done before, performing on stage in the West End and doing a dance and stuff like that that I'd never thought I'd do. And, And I do think that that whole process for me, like you mentioned, helped me bring myself back to me, which I felt I hadn't been for a yes. long time. You can sort of work out who that is now because I always felt like I was part of a couple and that's kind of how I wanted to be because I've been single for a long time and no explosions, you know, next to no explosions. <laughs> had been happy being a couple and being part of a sort of double act. I got to really find out who I was when I got divorced and then we were eight years before we moved in together And I think it's because we really wanted to retain who we were individually. So we happen to be married and we happen to be a couple. And in a lot of instances, it's us against the world. But I am also very much an individual. And so is he. And I will never, ever let that go again. Because I like who I realized I was. But I think I never really knew who I was until I set foot on a stage. And there's something about telling somebody your story and telling a stranger so they don't have all the stuff to backfill. You have to give yourself to an audience in a package. And I had to work out what that package was. And I think I sort of learned who I was by telling people who I was on stage, oddly. That's so interesting because I guess you have to kind of market yourself in your opening set to the audience to be Mm. like, this is me, this is what you're going to get, strap in. So you kind of do need to know the essence of who you are or who your character is that you're playing. So. Yes. You said that you were together with Gary for eight years before you got married and you didn't move in together straight yeah. away. Do you think that was leftovers from that first marriage? And you said you wanted to be an individual, but is there anything else you brought as lessons from that first experience into the new relationship? Because we're both comics and sort of geographically, it made sense to not live together because... I was in Manchester at the time and he was in Birmingham. And whenever I did a gig in London, I just drive back to his and he did a gig anywhere up north, he'd drive back to mine. So we still saw each other probably four or five days a week anyway. And also just because I hadn't gone straight from living with a man to living on my own, I'd gone straight to living at my parents' house. I think if I'd gone straight into living with Gary or anyone, I would have felt like I needed a bit of space on my own. So actually, I lived on my own for six years and he lived on his own for six years. 
now we work really well together, living together because we've done that. And I think everybody, if you can afford it, needs to have a little bit of time of living on your own where you know where that spoon is because you left that spoon there. And then we weren't planning on living together and I moved in. And then after about a month, it just felt really empty whenever he wasn't there. And we had a discussion and uh, quite an adult discussion and we decided so he instead of he was going to buy a house as well because we were both renting and then instead he bought into this house and then it feels like a proper home even when he goes away for a couple of days it just feels weird when he's not here which is lovely but it also I don't know that I would have got there without that six years in the middle of just doing whatever the fuck I liked. <laughs> well, I'm into a year and a half of living on my own. And it's the first time I've <gasps> ever lived on my own because I always was in like a house share or then I was living with my ex-husband. And what I found really weird is kind of the opposite of you with the dishes. I'm like, all my dirty dishes don't get cleaned if I just leave them there. <laughs> I have to clean them. Oh, there's no fairies. You yeah, are the fairies. I, I have to take the bins out if they're full. I have to clean the inside of the bin. Like all of this stuff that, you know, you get into patterns with someone when yeah. you live with them and they're a long time. So I, I do get what you mean. Currently, I love living on my own and I'm learning a lot about myself, but it was a real change to go from always yeah. having lived with someone and even like bills and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and they, God, they don't off add up because it's not double the bills for two people and single the bills for yeah. one person. Because some of the bills are just because it's a flat. It's that bill. I don't miss it. In, in I'm very happy how we are, but I'm really glad I took the time. And I don't think I actively did it. So I think I stayed at my mum and dad's until I could afford to live on my own because I didn't really want to live with other people. I mean, I wasn't messy then. I was, uh, oh, I meant emotionally messy. I was initially, I was, I remember my sister once stroked my hair for three hours while I cried on her bed. And you think, oh, flatmates don't do that. No. Do <laughs> my sister came to stay with me and I think I hadn't had a shower for like four days. And at one point she went, you just, you need to shower now. <laughs> I love you. Have you seen the Sex and the City film? The first one, not the second one. We don't oh, talk about the second yeah. one. But you know, the first one, when they go on the honeymoon anyway, and she's such a mess. And Samantha comes in and feeds her yeah. food, whatever it is. And that always reminds me of my sister. Because sometimes you just need somebody who's going to go, right, we just need to sort this out. You need food in it. We need to wash it. Yeah, all the practical things. <laughs> like you're a kind of rescue dog. <laughs> that somebody needs to be like, oh, okay, there's too many mats now. We need to start shaving it off. <laughs> I definitely had that. I think, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you, if you found out from your breakup and divorce that obviously all my friends are brilliant for different reasons, but some of the friends have been there for me in a different way since the divorce in an amazing way and other of them haven't and and my family has been incredible in a way that I I sort of expected them to be there for me but they've been incredible to another level than I ever expected and it's kind of I feel so much more appreciative of my family and friends sort of coming through this yeah I think I found some people who I expected to be better weren't and then other friends that I would have put down as an acquaintance just kind of stepped up. I think I'm quite a good friend and I will listen. You know, it's very reciprocal. I'm very happy to help people wherever I can. But equally, when the shit hits the fan, I'd like to be able to spill onto them. And some people just couldn't handle it and just 
left, just disappeared. I didn't miss any work. I had to just, because I thought, I'm just crying at home. <laughs> was that going to help anybody? So I went into work. I don't think I performed fully at work. I used to sometimes just sit and cry at my desk. But in order to get up and get into work, like the Sunday after he'd said, we're done, I had to ring somebody to have like a cry and then then I could like function. And the first day I rang the Samaritans because I didn't know who else to ring. And I worked out, I didn't want to bother people too often because I thought, I don't want them to be like, oh God, it's her again. So I worked out how many friends I thought I could cry at in a row. And I had 14. Oh, that's good. And then I would go back around to the first one again after a fortnight, which I didn't need to do because I was doing better and I started to see a counsellor and stuff This is work. very organised cry scheduling. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know how cathartic crying is and how you instantly feel better, even if all the shit is still shit. You feel sort of ready to put the plates back on the sticks and start spinning again. My, my boss, she had a private office and she'd let me have her office to have my counsellor appointment. So she'd go on her lunch break during that hour so that I could see my service counsellor. Yeah, some people that just before that, you would have gone, oh yeah, she's a lass from work, that's it. All of a sudden are these incredible people. But I think it's also, you've got this, you, you will have had friends who've had horrible things happen to them and you just all gather round and scoop, don't you? It's all about the scooping. The scooping, I like that. Yeah, thanks. Obviously you're very happy now. And you had that difficult time. Do you remember your lowest moment? Because I have this moment when I was crying on my mum's kitchen floor, like cold slate <laughs> kitchen floor. Yes. And just like, I can't get up. and just sobbing like snot, everything. Do you remember one specific bad time? I talked about it in my first gig. It was when I was sitting on the floor. It's always the floor, isn't it? I was sitting on the floor and I was crying and there was just like you can't tell what's tears and what's not anymore it's just my whole face is wet you know like a baby it's just wet my dad had said you're bound to be upset and I did this on stage and it was the first joke that I did that got a laugh it wasn't the first joke I told (laughs) but I got silence silence and then this woof of laughter and I think it's just because it's very identifiable because I'd my dad had said you're bound to be upset you've lost everything. Like as if I needed to wow. know that. And then he left a little pause and he said, you've got nothing left. Just <laughs> reiterate. Wow. It went from silence to this woof of laughter. And I think when you do your first five minutes on stage, some people will go, oh my God, I'm never doing that again. That was awful. And I had two and a half minutes of complete silence. And then this laughter that just carried me. But that was probably the lowest But it was also funny because he accidentally, not intentionally, but accidentally made it hilarious. Well, sometimes the funniest times are the most hilarious. Like I remember when my dad died, which is only four or so years ago, and my sister and I were in the funeral home and we were fully in hysterics. Like my mom was getting annoyed with us because we had to pick a coffin and the woman was describing the coffins almost exactly how you would describe a kitchen like the veneers of wood <laughs> and the handles. And, and me and my sister were just actually in hysterics because it was awful, <laughs> but hilarious. And sometimes that's what gets you through. Of course. And it's also the relief and the release of laughter is that uh, the thing that kind of punctures the tension. And it obviously just being in a funeral home is horrific. And for such a close family member is so awful. But then 
you'd get the fit of the giggles because one something that might normally have made you laugh a little bit would have had such a bigger reaction because you're so low and then that's so high it just has an explosion doesn't it different kind of explosion yeah very different <laughs> in the funeral home jeez yeah very Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> so so you had that that low moment on the floor we're always on the floor yeah. do you remember a moment where you thought this is gonna be okay I'm gonna be okay this is good I think it was probably after that first monologue because I signed up to this course while I was at work and it was just this sort of afternoon thing and I think if somebody said to me do you need to climb a mountain? I'd have gone, all right, can you get me the right shoes and the right socks? And I'll give it a go. I felt like I could do anything on some days. And then other days I was just like a wet mess. But it was on one of those, I used to call them my she days because I felt <laughs> like all empowered. And on those days, one of those days, that's when I signed up to the course and everybody performed at the end. And I just thought, oh, I've done it. Like I'd done something that was different. I never thought I'd be able to do. And I didn't think that was the beginning of a career at all. And I think it's a bit like Celia Pacola had a really great show years and years ago about, what's it called solo or flying solo? And she talks about how her mom had a flying lesson having always wanted to, having never got round to it, had a flying lesson, did the flying lesson, and the following day left her dad. Even just thinking about it, it makes me want to cry because it was so incredible that she proved to herself she could do something hard. And then she did something much harder because of the kind of confidence that that gave her. And I think that's all it is. About six months after that gig, I rang Kate Fox, who rang the workshop. And I said, I think I want to try doing stand-up. And she just went, oh, finally. Like she'd been waiting for me to ring it because she thought I was a stand-up. And I thought I'd read like a funny monologue that I'd written. And then she got me my first gig. I think it's just the confidence. Confidence that I've never really had in any form of life at work or at home or anything or never really been very confident. And all of us, and even now I'm not that confident off stage. You know, some people walk on stage with their arms up like they're, you know, I don't know who, like, well, I was going to say like Eddie Murphy, just somebody who's, you know, but but you know, somebody walks on like this and the applause, oh, and they're like, with their arms up like this. Yeah. And I walk on like, oh, hello, how's everybody? Is everybody all right? And I've never had that. But then, you know, you get it after a couple of laughs and then, you know, and then I'm kissing me guns. I'm not. (laughs) 
that thing that I tried could have been anything. I could have just painted and been found I was quite good at that. But there was something about bearing my soul and everything was so raw. Like I've seen a couple of comics since then go on stage, like in the middle of their divorce and they just talk. It's a bit like, you know, have you seen that or heard that Tignataro bit that she did when she found out she had breast cancer? And she had a gig that day and she just went oh, to the wow. gig and she couldn't do her normal set mm. because it felt so pointless. They're applauding it and she comes down and goes, hi, hi, good evening, I've got cancer, I've got cancer. And it's so raw and it's so incredible, you know, that she needed to do that. And I think all we're trying to capture on stage is that moment when you wrote that, when it was first funny. And that's what you're trying to capture every time you go on stage, maybe. But I was, it was so early, like my divorce hadn't gone through or anything. I was, you know, talking about it on stage and that and the counselling were massively helpful. (laughs) I would recommend both. My counsellor at the time had said, was getting married and she said, oh, I think I'd like you to come and do a spot at my wedding. And I said, I think you should come and watch me first. (laughs) And she came and watched me and she was like, yeah, yeah, no, you're all right. And I was like, yeah, I thought so. (laughs) Because I was very (laughs) anti-marriage. Exactly. So I feel like that's a bit of an abuse of the patient-client relationship to be like... (laughs) Oh, I think she was going to pay me. Okay, great. Well, that's fine then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a gig, love. Gig's a gig. I found counselling really useful as well. And I think it's really Mm. amazing that stand-up helped you so much at that time. Was there anything else that you found, like maybe anything that your friends did? You know, if someone's listening and a friend of theirs has just got divorced and they're like, what Mm. can I do? Is there anything that you remember at that time that was particularly useful? One thing I did do is I changed his name in my phone and I changed his name in my phone to the arse so that whenever I got a text from him, it would say a text from the arse (laughs) or the arse is calling. And it made me have a little giggle before I then answered the phone and dealt with whatever it was. Quite a few people have told me that they've done that because of me. And it's quite nice because it is just a silly thing and it's a really easy thing, but it just, it reframes who they are to you so that it's not coming up and like, killing you every time they tr- they ring you about something. And, and I also had a rule where, because he was my go-to person, as our partners always are, if something good happens or if something bad happens. So I had a rule where if I wanted to text him, what I did was I wrote the text, I saved it in drafts. And then in an hour, if I was still wanting to send that, then I was allowed to, but I had to wait the hour. And I never, ever sent it because he didn't deserve to get all the good stuff anymore. But I needed the hour for it to travel from like my heart to my brain because <laughs> my heart was like, tell him, he'll want to know. He didn't give a shit. But I felt like I was that was still making me quite vulnerable. I feel like that's such a good rule for so many situations. Like when you're angry at work yeah, or whatever, save it and don't send it. I definitely still have my ex-husband saved as his name with a little nickname that I had for him when we were married in between, which is horrible every time I see it. So I'm definitely changing it to maybe not yeah. the arse. I might think of something, you know, that suits him. Or just him. like Mr. Whatever his surname is. Silly Mr. boy. Yeah. Whatever's going to make you laugh or feel less of that kind of 
stabbing yeah. heart pain. Maybe like just like fart orange or something random. Yeah, something, yeah, exactly. He didn't used to fart when he had oranges or anything. That's not a thing. <laughs> well, just... now that's all I think about him. <laughs> I would like you to remember my ex-husband who farted after he had oranges. Oh, after, not during. Oh, okay, just, just after, yeah. Because yeah. I'm dairy intolerant, so I do fart after I have dairy. So I feel it's yes. only fair if he has one. What I found useful is all those lovely times or even difficult times where something happens and they used to be the first person you tell. I now have other go-to people that I tell instead. Yes. I used to have somebody I called my I love you person because sometimes you just want to tell somebody I love you and for them to, it's really just so that they see it back. And I changed it to my friend, Annie. I love that. I have a friend called Robin and we're very blunt with each other. And sometimes I'll just message her and say, tell me it's going to be okay or tell me how great I am. And she'll just reply with those compliments like on WhatsApp. And it's, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And I'm sure you do the same for her. You know, it's, it's no, no, it's just one way. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do it for each other. <laughs> That's what I'm saying on the podcast. So that everyone thinks I'm a good person. <laughs> so I have a few questions for you about things I'm going through at the moment that I'd love to hear what you did with. So, yeah. so I still have my wedding band and engagement ring in a drawer in my jewelry box. And I don't know what to do with them. I sort of don't really care about the wedding band that much, but it's like the engagement ring is calling to me from that drawer and I need to either sell it. Yeah. Either like (laughs) sell it or make it into a different bit of jewelry or like wear it or like, it's just, I, I feel like it can't stay in the drawer. What did you do? I didn't have an engagement ring and my wedding ring wasn't really worth much. So I don't honestly know where it is. I think I might have just been it. There wasn't any kind of ceremony. There was no fire. I have no idea where it is. And I, lo- I love that. I don't know. Okay. I think you need to get rid. If it was me, I would get rid. I don't think making it into a necklace or something like that or keeping the stones and doing something else. I think you're still hanging on. And I, I just wanted to not hang on. It depends if you want to hang on. As a friend of mine had said to me when I was going through the divorce and she said, why aren't you clinging on? And I was like, because he doesn't want me. Like surely somebody else might and even if they don't, I'd still not rather be with somebody who doesn't want me. See, some people like nostalgia and keeping things like that, but you remember what it looks like. You know, if you sold it, so some people have a weird thing about secondhand engagement rings. But my mom and dad uh, got a secondhand engagement ring because that's all they could afford. It's beautiful, but it was secondhand. And they've been married for 50 years. So you could sell that and somebody could buy that and get some joy out of it. And it's not bringing you, it's, I hate the bringing you joy thing, but if it doesn't make you happy, why have you still got it? And also there's that thing of still looking at it and still knowing you can look at it. I would sell it and buy yourself something really fucking nice. Yeah, I, li- I like the idea of it going to a, someone else and then them having a lovely time with it, even yeah, though my lovely time came to an end. Yeah, it's not the ring's fault. The <laughs> ring has a chance to have a life with someone I new. I fully blame the ring. <laughs> it sticks out and it used to catch on all my tights, actually. It was a bit of a oh, nightmare no. with the tights. Yeah. Also, wedding dress. Did you have a wedding dress or outfit for your first wedding and what did did you do with it? Yes, it was kind of a shift dress because I got married in Las Vegas. It wasn't really a wedding-y, wedding-y dress. And again, I don't know where that is. I used to have material about what should I do with my wedding dress? And some of the suggestions the audience would shout out were hilarious. Somebody said, 
wear it and follow him round in it. <laughs> <laughs> Just at work. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So yours was like Full. a meringue. Not meringue, please, Sarah. It was delightful <laughs> lace number. I mean, I looked fit in it. It was great. It's a great dress, but I can't like dye it because it's lace. Can you give it away? I bet there are companies that take in secondhand wedding dresses, you know, and somebody else could have a lovely time with it. It could have many more weddings to go if people kept doing that. There's no point in keeping a wedding dress. Even if you're still married, there's no point in keeping it. Did you have a special outfit for your second wedding? Yes. And do you still have that? Yes, because it's not really, I think, I guess I could wear it for other things. I don't think I would because of the sentiment attached to it. And it's just hanging in a wardrobe. I don't get it out and I don't like try it on or like pine after it, but it's just in a wardrobe. For the sentimental value. Well, because it's a beautiful dress. This is the issue, yeah. Well, yeah, but you're not married still. But it's still a beautiful dress. Yeah, but... I put it on when I was still married to watch Kate and Will's wedding. (laughs) (laughs) I put it on and I sat in my living room and (laughs) watched it on the telly. There will be future royal weddings and what if you've got nothing to wear for them? I (laughs) know. I could just keep it for the next marriage. How do you feel when you look at it? To be honest, I haven't looked at it. It's sort of wrapped in a protective thing right in the corner of the wardrobe it's just I was having a wardrobe clear out the other day and I thought it's taking up a lot of room because it's quite a poofy dress meringue uh-huh. and I'm not using <laughs> it it's not a meringue it's beautiful lace it's a meringue I know <laughs> yeah I just thought it's taken up a lot of room I'm not married anymore do I really want to keep it so that's just something I'm thinking about. It's similar to the ring that somebody else, somebody who can't afford meringue um, <laughs> firsthand, could get a lovely secondhand wedding dress yeah. and feel as fit as you felt in it. I'm of the tendency to just disengage. I feel like you're quite, cutthroat's the wrong word, but you're quite like... <laughs> Thanks. No, but you you know, you were like, let's get divorced practical. now. Yeah, like quite on yeah. it with the like, okay, if this is happening, we need to sort it out. I don't fuck about. Yeah. I don't, I'm not fucking about. No, because there's no... I fuck about. What is the benefit? In both What is the ways. benefit from having a ring and having a dress? So, okay, so you have a dog, right? And your dog dies. And 10 years later, you're like, I've still got the lead. <laughs> Why have you still got the lead? Yeah, somebody else could have that lead, been the lead. It's sentimental and it's got its name on it and I keep it in a little box with a photo of the dog. I don't. That's true. Actually, no, the dog hasn't died. The dog has left you for another owner. Whoa. <laughs> so it's a different, it's not the same. So the dog has left you for another owner and you sometimes still hold the lead in your hand and the dog's like this, ooh, these paws just flicking the bees while he's, you know, fucking his owner or whatever he's doing. <laughs> this has got weird, this scenario. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting as well that people in different kind of divorce scenarios say different things because my divorce was very amicable and we're still friends and we both decided to break up and no one left. <laughs> you just did a little cringe there. So. I think I'd call it a shudder, but carry on. Okay. <laughs> and no one left anyone else for someone else. So it's sort of like, I'm sad it's over, but I'm happy uh, now. Would you invite him round with his new partner? No. Yeah. So. Well, but wow. I have coffee with him. I don't think I wouldn't be. Un- it'd be weird if I saw him and his new partner in the street. 
but I think that they would be more uncomfortable with it than I would. Why? Because of the sort of person that he is. And I don't know, being a comedian and being very open about things that I've seen a therapist. Mm. And I, I feel like I've talked, I am quite like open and honest about everything. And you've done Magic Mike though. How, like how many <laughs> like decent sized bodies and cocks have you seen? He should feel bad. I mean, there's no, there's no full frontal cock in the show. It's oh, just, is there not? No, oh, it's I'm, just, not co- I'm not coming. It's then. just toplessness. <laughs> I saw the Chippendales once and there was definitely sort of side bollock on view. Oh no, it's not. It's definitely, it's like a dance show in the West End. Oh yeah, of course it is. Is that what you tell your mum and dad? Yes. My mum's seen it three times. (laughs) She loves it. That's hilarious. My ex-husband wanted to come and see the show. Really? And I said to him, I don't think you should because I think it might make you feel uncomfortable. Because it is just me and 15 semi-naked <laughs> professional dancers who are men. Are they semi-professional naked or semi-professional dancers? Semi-naked. Oh, okay. <laughs> comma, professional dancers. Oh, I thought you said they were semi-professional naked dancers. <laughs> oh, no, mate. If I did Whoa. say that, I didn't mean that. No, uh, professional <laughs> semi-naked dancers. I love that your mum's been. Does she come on her own or she bring like the girls? No, she, she brings people. She doesn't have a lap dance. Because there is a section where you can have one. And she obviously knows you can have one, but she's... She's like, no, thank you. Opted out. Yes, too far. She enjoys the camaraderie of it all. <laughs> I wish she wrote a review for it. My favourite thing is the camaraderie. <laughs> well, it is, it's, you know, majority 350 <laughs> women and I. Uh, and finally, where do you have your divorce certificate? I think the last time I had to have it was when I got married again. So I think it might just be in like the folder with the certificates, like the marriage certificate, like the passport. Because it had been so long, I'm not very organised and my paperwork is all over the place. So we had to get a copy before we could get married again. So you have to show your divorce certificate? I think so. I think that rings vague bells. And, And did you feel weird about getting married again? Was there anything that held you back about re-entering into that? No. No, because it it wasn't marriage's fault <laughs> that it ended. And also I felt like Gary and I never really wanted to get married. And then when we moved in and that went well, and I just felt like it was nice to sort of tell the world. I didn't know if it would feel different because we'd been so close for so long. Being married does feel different. It does feel like we're a team. We've got each other's back. I think we had before, but it feels really official. It's a lot harder to get out of a marriage than to get out of a non-marriage. Yeah. So you have to really want it. That's why, hence the club. Yeah, well, I think there'd been a, a decent amount of time as well. And, and I didn't hate marriage. I liked being married. I just found a better person this time. <laughs> well, I can't get, wait to get married several more times. I'm excited. <laughs> I love marriage and weddings are the best. So I want a few more of them. Well, you could, I mean, maybe keep your dress then. Maybe just judge it up with, you know, some sequins. Different. Yeah, just accoutrements. Diamante. And, uh, craft it up. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, you could, uh, you could have like a craft afternoon with your friends where you could all stick shit and glue shit on it. And then you're ready for round two. Ting, ting. Sounds very elegant. Is there anything, you know, any advice or any words of wisdom that you would like to pass on to anyone going through a divorce or about to? The hardest thing I did and the best thing I did was accept it. 
there's always that, well, what if we, what if we, what if we, what if we went and saw a counsellor? What if we did this? What if it all fixed? What if, and just accept it and just full stop and move on. It was so great to go, oh, this is happening. And then to divorce him and to have control over everything after that, because I'm a massive control freak. And yeah, I think accepting it was hard, but once I'd done it, everything felt better. I like that. That's good. I think I'm accepting, but I think I have more accepting to do. I think you should change his name and your phone to something less familiar and less sort of comforting. It should just be a person's name, like everybody else's name is a person's name. I would seriously consider doing something substantial with your rings and spending the money on something you something fun something Shoes. that is a nice way to well exactly if that's what makes you happy and if your wedding dress has taken up too much space think of what could be in that space shoes shoes so many shoes <laughs> yeah i don't believe in hanging on to things for nostalgia reasons if the nostalgia makes you feel crap <laughs> that's that sounds pretty clear cut to me on a t-shirt yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't feel crap <laughs> yeah sarah Melikin. Thank you. Do you want to plug anything that's going on with you? Where can we find you, buy things with your face on? I am currently reading my autobiography in three-page sections on all my socials and on YouTube as a way of helping people smile in the day while they're getting through their quarantine in this weird time that we're living in. And also Join In is happening again on Twitter, which is the thing I do on Christmas Day, which is just using the hashtag Join In to link up people who feel like they might want a bit of company and that's in a very low level is is starting to happen again with people who want to chat to somebody and that's just hashtag join in on twitter lovely and you have a website as well don't you yes sarahmillican.com I don't know if it's .com or .co.uk, I can't remember, but I'm on all the socials. You can't miss me, really. She's everywhere. <laughs> I'm not on Snapchat and I'm not on TikTok. I decided a couple of years ago to not join anything new. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the Divorce Club, but you're already a member. Yeah, yeah I, I should be a founding member, yeah, really. okay, I'll make you a founding member. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're so welcome. Welcome to the club. Thank you. It's great. It's really great here. And you will blossom and figure out who you are and become just happier. It's even if the divorce isn't good news, why would anybody ever want to be with somebody who didn't think they were awesome? And I'd rather be with nobody than with somebody who thought I was anything less than that. I love that. Let's get t-shirts. <laughs> That might be quite a big t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter 
and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com, and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month. And it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90s-style divorce and heartbreak chat room. And there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast, and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines. And please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.